God bless you, my beloved. This is Minister S. N. Crockett Jr. with Jesus Christ, our Lord Christian Fellowship. Had some tough technical difficulties that I had to deal with. Um, so, sorry I'm a few minutes late. But God bless you. We gonna con we're going to continue with the um, second installment of our weekly program, The Truth of the Gospel, The Truth of the Gospel. We started talking um, a few weeks ago about Jesus and liars. Jesus and liars. Jesus and liars. And by that title, we, we mean that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And any, anything, anyone, any religion, any system, any spirit, any voice, any philosophy, whether it be religious or political, that opposes him is a lie. Let me say that again. When I say Jesus and liars, I'm saying Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth of God. The Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of truth, points us to Jesus. Any spirit, any voice, any religion, any philosophy, whether political or social or religious, that opposes the majesty of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the fact that he's the Son of God, the fact that he's the Savior of the world, the fact that he came into the world, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Anything that opposes that is a lie is a satanic lie because Satan is the liar. He's the father of all lies. Jesus said uh, he was a liar from the beginning. He abode not in the truth. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. So when we say Jesus and liars, we're not that, that title is not suggesting we're throwing rocks at someone, uh, politicians or whatever. What we are saying that Jesus is the way the truth, he's the truth of God. In, in, in Jesus dwells all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, true wisdom and knowledge, true wisdom and knowledge. In Jesus Christ dwells all the treasures of true wisdom and knowledge. So we want to continue our, our, um, our teaching on Jesus and liars. If you're, if you're following Jesus, you're walking in the truth. If you're following Jesus, you're walking in the truth of the gospel. You're not walking in your truth which is very perilous to do because we don't have the ability to formulate divine truth ourselves. We don't have the ability to walk in truth that's greater than or equal to the truth of Jesus Christ, the truth of the gospel. So Jesus is the way. He said it himself. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. I'm repeating what my Lord and Savior said, my master. I'm his slave. I'm his doulos. I'm his servant. He's my master. I live on his plantation. He's because I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm his slave, good slavery. He is my Lord and Savior. He is my Lord. He is my master. I am his slave. Uh, uh, some of the apostles would, would introduce themselves. Paul, a servant. That word servant is the word doulos, slave. Paul, a slave. Peter, a slave. James, a slave. Jude, a slave. John, a slave, a servant, a doulos of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, meaning meaning we are at his beck and call. I am at the Lord Jesus' beck and call. Whatever he tells me to do, if I know it's him telling me for sure to do it, I'm going to do it. If I'm not sure, I'm going to inquire, Lord, was that you? Because there are many voices in the world, including my voice, including my own will, including my own desires. So as even as a Christian, uh, I have to be careful about what voices I listen to because there are many um, I was reading the first epistle of John this morning. 
And John said there are many uh, antichrists. The spirit of antichrist is already in the world. There are many voices that have gone out into the world which proclaim that Jesus, uh, they speak against Jesus Christ. The word anti means against. It also means in place of. So when I was reading the first epistle of John this morning, I read where John said, Beloved, be careful. Believe not every spirit. Try the spirits to see whether they are of God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess that Jesus is Lord, Messiah, the Anointed One, capital A, capital O, the Anointed One, Yeshua HaMashiach, Joshua the Messiah, Jesus, Lord and Savior. John said that's the spirit of Antichrist. He, he didn't say it is the Antichrist, as in capital A. He said it's the spirit of Antichrist. He said many Antichrists are already in the world. He said that 2,000 years ago. The Antichrist, the Antichrist spoken of, the um uh, uh, Daniel called him the abomination of desolation, uh, the prince that shall come. There are many titles for him. He's got like 40, 50 different titles. The willful king. He has not come yet. The Antichrist, uh, 666. That Antichrist has not come yet, but he is coming because the Bible says he is coming. Let's talk about Jesus and liars today. We're going to start in John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for allowing us to mention your blessed name, the blessed name of your dear Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to whom be glory, power, majesty, and dominion both now and forever. We ask that you fill us with the Holy Spirit, fill us with the spirit of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Help us to preach Jesus Christ and Him only. Help us to not preach ourselves, our own agenda, our own anger, fear, our own political ambitions, etc. Help us to preach your son, Jesus Christ, crucified, resurrected, and coming again. And he is Lord of the kingdom. Lord, he is Lord. He shall inherit David's throne. Lord, help us to preach Jesus Christ, your dear son. We bless you and we praise you. We continue to pray for the family of the young man who passed away a week ago. We, we, we continue to ask that you comfort that family as only you can. We can speak words of comfort and offer words and actions of comfort. But, O oh Lord, by your Holy Spirit, only you can bring healing in, a, in, in, in broken hearts. And we pray that you will do that by Jesus Christ. We pray if there are those in that family who are not saved, in that family and circle of friends and, and family who are not saved, we pray that you will use that young man's death to bring eternal life. You said, Lord, through your Holy Son, Jesus, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it, by, it abides alone. But if it die, it bear much fruit. We pray, Lord, that that man's death, that young man's death, Lord, we pray that it would bear much fruit for your kingdom. We pray because only, only you can bring glory out of a tragic, sad situation like that by Jesus Christ. We pray, blessed be your name forever. Amen and amen. All right, we're going to start in John 12. I'll mention a few more scriptures and try to bring some um, illumination. And then by the Holy Spirit and then... We will end our lesson for today. And then, Lord, Lord willing, we'll see you again next Friday evening. John chapter 8. Jesus' critics bring a woman to him. It's a very familiar story. And uh, they say that they've caught her in adultery. They say they've caught her in the very act. Then they say to Jesus, Now Moses in the law commanded us that such, this, such a person as this woman should be stoned. But what do you say? Now, We've already gone over this, and you've heard this from other teachers, etc. The problem that they didn't bring the man to Jesus, 
because the last I checked, it, it takes two people to commit adultery. The fact that they didn't bring the man to Jesus is problematic. That, that right there uh, is a red flag. They brought the woman to Jesus. They didn't bring the man. They said, now they didn't say we heard. They said we caught her in the very act. If they caught her in the very act of adultery, they should have brought the man also. Because if you read the law of Moses under which they were living at the time, the, the law of Moses said both the man and the woman would, were to be put to death because of the adultery. They brought the woman to Jesus. They didn't bring the man. Uh, they said, teacher, meaning Jesus, rabbi, this master, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law, because these people claimed to be such adherents to the law, such disciples of Moses, but Jesus knew they were really hip, hypocrites at heart. He even said in Matthew 23, now the scribes and Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. So whatever they say to you, obey them as they're sitting in that seat, in that seat of authority. But he said, but Jesus said, but, you know, be careful because their lives don't match uh, the authority under which they sit. So, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. Oh, but teacher, what do you say? So now we have a second red flag with their motives. Their motives were not pure. They didn't bring the woman to Jesus out of pure motives to keep the law of Moses. All right, so flag number one, they bring the woman to Jesus. They don't bring the man. You've got to bring the, if you say you caught this woman in the, in the act, that means you caught the man in the act also. You should have brought the man also. They didn't. That's flag number one. Flag number two. You can see that they're trying to tra trap Jesus. They're trying to pit Jesus against the law of Moses. But what do you say? This they said, testing him. So John brings this out by the, the revelation, the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. This they said, testing him, him being Jesus, that they might have something of which to accuse him. So they brought this poor benighted woman to Jesus under the pretense of loving and wanting to keep the law of Moses. But they were really trying to trap Jesus. So their motives were not pure. And Jesus knew their motives were not pure. So they brought the woman to Jesus. We caught her in adultery. Again, they didn't bring the man. They should have brought the man. Because again, it takes two people, at least two, two people, to commit adultery. They brought the woman. They didn't bring the man. So now we've got sexism going on, misogyny, political intrigue, religious intrigue, religious hypocrisy. We've got all kind of um, problems going on here. They're trying to run the okie doke on Jesus. They're trying to trap him and pit him against the law of Moses so they can have something by which to further accuse Jesus and, and destroy him. Get rid of him. Get rid of this imposter according to what their thinking was. Let's get rid of this, 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 this bootleg rabbi, this bootleg preacher, this bootleg prophet, etc. What do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have, sing, have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear them. He knew their motives. He knew they were trying to run the okie doke on him. He knew that their motives were not pure. They didn't care about this woman. They didn't really care about the law of Moses. And how do we know? Because they had added their own commandments to the law of Moses, what's called the Mishnah. They had added their own traditions to the law of Moses. They had added their own tradition to the word of God. At that time, the law of Moses, the Psalms, and the prophets, that was the word of God, the Jewish Bible, what we call the Old Testament. So they added their own traditions to the word of God. So their, 
there's hypocrisy, there's the odor of hypocrisy in the air. And Jesus, of course, being the, the, the perfect discerner, the very son of God, the very um, God in the flesh, the word made flesh and dwelling among us, he sniffed it out right away. He, when I was growing up, we had a saying, um, I, um, I peeped your whole card, meaning I, I know where you're coming from. I see what you're trying to do. Jesus peeped their whole card even before they started talking to him. So he, Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up. I guess he'd had enough. He, he, he timed it perfectly. He said to them, he who is without sin among you, you who are accusing this woman and you didn't bring the man. So there's no justice here. He who, he who was without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Plenty of stones and rocks in Israel. I've never been there, but I know Israel is a very rocky country. A lot of stones, a lot of rocks. He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. In other words, Jesus discerning their hearts, he knew there was, he knew their hearts were captive to sin. So his statement was, in essence, a rhetorical statement. He knew that none of them were without sin. He knew them, but he also knew theologically there's no man without sin, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Wherefore, as by one man, Adam, Romans 5 and 12, sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. So he knew that there was no one with the exception of he himself who's without sin. So he knew that nobody was going to pick up a rock and throw it at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience, they were convicted by their conscience. Why were they convicted? The word of God in flesh had spoken to them, had preached to them. What does the word of God do? The word of God appeals to our conscience. Paul said it in 2 Corinthians 4. I talked about it the other night. Paul said, we don't preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ, the Lord, ourselves, your servants for Jesus' sake. We appeal to your conscience. I'm paraphrasing the, the, the part where he said that, but it's in 2 Corinthians 4, right around verse 5. We appeal, or verse 3, we appeal to your conscience. That's what the gospel does. It, because man has a will, and, 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 and that will has to be broken by the word of God. But the person who has the will has to voluntarily submit to God's word. You can hear God's word. You can hear the greatest sermon in the world. You can hear the greatest preachers in the world. But if, you're, if you are determined in your will not to obey God, that sermon will not benefit you at all. Again, he stooped down the ground and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience, they went out one by one. Remember, Jesus said, he who was without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. They went out one by one, beginning at the oldest. Gee, I wonder why he left first. <laughs> there are several possibilities. One possibility is a cultural possibility. Perhaps the oldest one was the one to leave first because as the oldest one, he would be the one with the most respect and he would lead the way. That's a cultural possibility. Then there's a theological possibility. Perhaps he, the oldest one is the one that had the most sin in his life. That is a possibility. Those are two possibilities. 
I'm not saying there are not more possibilities, but those are two of the top possibilities. Perhaps it was a cultural situation. It, it's kind of like um, when father, when dad comes home and nobody sits down to eat until dad walks in, then dad sits at the table, uh, you know, that, that kind of thing, right? Well, in this case, the oldest, the oldest left the room first. There's a cultural possibility. There's a theological possibility. Perhaps the oldest one, he may have been the one who got this mess started in the first place. But also, he may have been the one uh, with the most sin since he was the oldest. And there's a third possibility. Perhaps he was the one who was involved with the woman. They didn't bring, they didn't, they didn't bring him to Jesus, uh, to, to the high tribunal, if you will. They brought the woman. Perhaps the oldest, this man here, the one who left first, being convicted by his own conscience, perhaps he was involved with that woman or he may have been involved with other women. We don't know, right? But, he, but beginning with the oldest, even to the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst, poor, poor benighted woman, used as a pawn, used as a, a social and religious pawn, by individuals who are trying to destroy our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Finally, when they left, all the hypocrites and all the religious bigots, when beginning at the oldest, even unto the last. Can you imagine them walking out, the oldest, then the next oldest, then the next oldest, all the way down to the youngest, just filing out with their heads down because the Lord Jesus in his magnificent majesty, the word become flesh dwelling among us. The Bible says the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Joints in the marrow, the word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Let me say that again. The word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And so when Jesus said, he who was without sin among you, let him be the first cast stone at it. That word pierced their sinful soul, their mind. The, 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 the word soul comes from the Greek word um, psyche, where we get the word psychology. Psyche. That, that word pierced. It cut. The Bible says the word of God is like a surgical instrument. It cut, it cut deep. It wants to cut to heal. God wants to use the word to cut to heal. He was just like this woman standing here. Jesus is about to heal her with his word but the word of God also cuts to condemn sin you see that the word of God sharper than any two-edged sword that, that that would be a cultural reference to the Roman and all the different militaries that existed at that time but at that particular time in particular the Roman sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit the word of God piercing to the soul and the spirit remember we are made of three individuals, spirit, soul, body. Some people say body, soul, spirit, spirit, soul, body. You are a body, you are a spirit, you are a soul. The word of God pierces even to the dividing, watch this, the, the dividing of soul and spirit. Only the word of God can make that division between soul and spirit. And the Bible says the word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. I don't know your thoughts and intents until you start talking, then you start revealing your, your thoughts and intents because the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, man, uh, man speaks. But the word of God 
doesn't have to hear you speak to discern your thoughts and your intents. And here, Jesus discerned, because he, he was at that time, the word of God become flesh. He was, he was, he was God in flesh, perfectly discerning the, the thoughts and the intents, both good and evil. In this case, evil. They wanted to destroy Jesus, and they didn't mind destroying this woman in their attempt to destroy Jesus. Suppose Jesus had said, you're right, Moses, the law of Moses did say that. Now take her out and stone her. You see that? They would have been caught in a, almost a catch-22. They really wanted to destroy Jesus. Now, they may have stoned her, but they really were trying to. They were using her and the law of Moses to get to Jesus. But Jesus... There are certain places in the Bible, this is not one of them. There are certain places in the Bible when, when these same individuals or similar-minded individuals would come to Jesus. The Bible would say, and Jesus knowing their thoughts. And Jesus discerning their thoughts. And Jesus knowing their thoughts. The Bible says, there's nothing hidden from the eyes of him with whom we must give an account. You know who that is. It's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Poor woman. Trapped between hypocritical men on one side and this other man. But she didn't, at, at, at this point, she's, she's, she's probably still wondering, is this man on my side? What's going on here? She's probably warming up to him, but it's, you know, she probably still has questions in her mind. Who, who is this, this rabbi? She knew he was a rabbi by his dress, his, his attire. He would have worn the, the, the garb of the, of the Jewish rabbi, the Jewish master teacher. But she's probably, because remember in Jewish culture, it was, it was, it was um, forbidden for a man to speak to a woman in public, especially a man like a, of a high esteem, like a rabbi, and especially speaking to a woman of dubious character. So she's probably wondering, you know, what, what's, what's this guy's angle, this, I, this guy being Jesus, what's his angle? You know, why, why, does, why is he pretending like he's on my side? And so Jesus begins to clear even that question up by saying, he raised himself up. He saw no one but the woman. He said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? Where are they? Where'd they go? <laughs> Where'd they go? Where, where are your accusers? What, what, what? They were big and bad a few minutes ago. They were, they were you know, big willy few minutes ago what happened where are your accusers has no one condemned you she said no one lord now i want you to notice what jesus did say and did not say first i want to say what he did not say he didn't say okay keep living the life that you're living don't worry about it it's all good he did not allow her to continue in her sin without uh, bringing her into account for her sin she said, no one is left to condemn me. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Now, what he didn't say was, don't worry about it. It's all good. Live the life you want to live. It's all good. Love who you want to love when you want to love them. Love the one you're with, as the famous song said. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I don't condemn you, but I didn't save you from that mob. That was a lynch mob. They weren't going to put her, swing her across a tree, but 
they were intent on stoning her to get to Jesus. Jesus saved her from a lynch mob. Neither do I condemn you, but watch this. Go and sin no more. He said to another man in John chapter 5, the man at the pool of Bethesda, when he healed him, he said, uh, uh, you've been healed. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. So what the, the point I'm making is when Jesus performed physical healing, he would often deal with the individual on an even um, um, higher level and say, okay, now you've been healed or I've saved you from this lynch mob. If I didn't just heal you just to perform a physical healing. Now there were people he healed and he didn't see them anymore. They went on their way and we don't know what happened to most of them. Whether they became disciples of Jesus or not, we don't know. But in some cases, he would deal with the individual after he healed them, and he would, and he he would say, "Okay, now I healed you physically, but now something else has to hap happen, something deeper within you, because I can heal you physically. But if you don't deal with the sin problem, other uh, the, the problems that you were uh, that you had, they're going to return." He said to the man at the pool of Bethesda. Sin no more lest a worse thing come upon you. And the man had been crippled for 38 years. And in those days, according to reliable information, the lifespan at that time, at that time around 30 AD, at that time the lifespan, from the information that I just heard the other day, the lifespan was 40, 50 years. That man had been crippled for 38 years. He said, go and he, first he asked the man, do you want to be healed? The man made some excuses. Then Jesus healed him. Then Jesus found him later and said, you've been healed. You've been made well. Go, sin no more. That's a word. I believe Jesus found him in the temple later. You've been healed. Go, go and, and, and sin no more. Let's a worse thing come upon you. So I don't know if that means that, that his cripple, uh, his, his being crippled has something to do with uh, some, some, some sin in his life. I don't know. Uh, I don't know, it doesn't say, but Jesus did say sin no more less a worse thing. Worse than being crippled for thirty crippled for thirty-eight years, less a worse thing come upon you. Here he says to the woman, Neither do I condemn you. He forgave her for her sin. Who can forgive sin? The Bible says only God. That's why when Jesus would forgive sins, his 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 uh, detractors would, would say he's blaspheming. Who can forgive sin? You, you can see it in Mark chapter 9 and a few other places. Who can forgive sin but God only? His, his critics are right. Only God can forgive sin. But because Jesus is God, he could forgive sin. And he did forgive sin. Sin no more. Lest the worst thing come upon you. Here's the point. How does this tie into our, our lesson title, Jesus and Liars? Jesus had to defeat the lying spirit. These individuals came to him trying to run the scam to trap him by using the sin or alleged sin of another individual. They didn't care about this woman. They really didn't care about the law of Moses, although they stuck their chest out and said, if you look in John chapter, what's further on in this chapter, John chapter 8, we are Moses' disciples. We've never been in bondage to any man. We're Moses' disciples. They claimed to be Moses' disciples, but they had taken their own traditions and had obscured the law of Moses. Jesus has said himself, you've, you've made the word of God of none effect by your own traditions. 
Now, some traditions are good. They represent human interaction from generation to generation. The, the tradition, I know we had a tradition when I was growing up, we had family picnics and all the cars would line up and there would be this long caravan. This was my father's side of the family. There would be this long caravan of cars that would go to the park a couple of times every year during the summer. Some traditions are good. Every family has good traditions. There are some religious traditions that are good because they indicate continuity of, of, of um, intent to serve God. Many traditions are good, but any tradition that seeks to obscure what God has said to us is wrong, is a lie. It would be like you telling your children uh, before you leave town, you giving your children orders about how to run the house and who not to let in the house, etc. And then some neighbors coming behind you and saying, oh, don't worry about it. They're out of town. They won't be back for another week. You know, go ahead and have that party. We're going we gonna, you know, to bring in about a pound of weed. <laughs> We're going to bring in some strippers. We're gonna, in other words, these people came and they undermined what your parents said to you or undermined what you said to your children if you're a parent. Well, that's what these individuals had done. They had taken the law of Moses whom they, they, that they claimed to revere so much. We are Moses' disciples. But they added their own traditions. And Jesus said, you made the law of God of none effect by your own traditions. So these individuals claimed to love God. So they were, they were walking in a spirit of a lie. That's why Jesus told them in John 8, 44, same chapter, you're of your father, the devil. You're the works of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He abode not in the truth. For when he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he's a liar and the father of it. He, he told him that, these same individuals, or similar individuals who, who had the same mindset. He told them later on in John, John 8, 44, you're of your father, the devil. Jesus said after he healed the woman, I'm the light of the world. Meaning, if you walk with me, you'll walk in truth. You won't walk in your truth. Your truth is what, what gets you into trouble. If you walk with me, you'll walk in my truth, the truth of the gospel. You hear that? I am the light of the world. He who follows me, not traditions of men that seek to obscure what I've said, he who follows me shall not walk in darkness. I have not walked in darkness since the day I gave my life to Jesus 40 years ago. 41 years ago this May. The only time I've, that I've walked in darkness since I've been a Christian has been when I've disobeyed God. But when I've obeyed God, I've not walked in darkness. For his word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. His word is a light. It leads, it guides. His word in my heart, if I keep his word and, and, I, and I obey his word in my heart, I will not walk in darkness. Jesus said it right here. He who follows me. He said me. He didn't say he who follows any religious precept that he, you know, it's all good. Don't worry about it. We're all going to the same place. He didn't say that. Jesus said, he who follows me. That's very exclusive. It includes anybody who wants to follow, but it's very exclusive. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness. I walked in darkness for 22 years. Then when I gave my life to Jesus on May 20th, 1979, I no longer walked in darkness. But those times that I did disobey God through willfulness, etc., then I, I allowed that darkness to 
once again, even momentarily rule my life. But those who, as a habit, as a pattern, follow Jesus, they don't walk in darkness. They walk in, in the light of life. He called it the light of life. You see that? So the reason I mentioned the story about the woman taken at the the woman taken in adultery is because these individuals they try to lie their way into trapping Jesus. Jesus, we caught this woman in the, in adultery. It says here, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Not we heard, you know, third or fourth. Um, 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 you know, we heard it from our brothers, cousins, nephews, sisters. Uncles, they we they said we caught her in the very act. Now, if they caught her in the very act, according to the law of Moses, which is the Old Testament here, in Exodus and Leviticus especially, as far as the precepts of the law, why didn't they bring the man? If they were so concerned about the holiness, the righteousness of God, and, and being Moses' disciples. The Bible says the man and the woman shall be surely put to death. They brought the woman. They didn't bring the man. Again, red flag number one. Now Moses in the law commanded us. But they, Jesus said himself, go back and read Matthew 23. The whole 23rd chapter of Matthew is, is, is um, devoted to exposing the hypocrisy of religious leaders who claim to love God but are uh, but are injecting their own teachings, their own precepts. Again, with the Jews, it was the Mishnah. They injected their own teachings, their own precepts. When your God had already given precepts through Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Now, why are you bringing your own precepts in? When God God doesn't need us to help him with uh, with, with what he wants us to do. He doesn't need our help in that way. But they claim my Moses in the law. In other words, they were trying to, they were, they were, um, they were uh, using Moses' name to bolster their authority. Moses in the law commanded us, you know, in the name of Moses, you know, we're Moses' disciples. We're the keepers of the city. We're the moral majority, <laughs> right? Moses in the law commanded us. Jesus, he 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 peeped their whole car. Ah, y'all y'all just a bunch of hypocrites. He who is without sin among you. Now, there's some rocks over there. Because as I said, I've never been to Israel. But I do know it's a very rocky uh, country. I, I can't say it's very rocky in 100% of it. But Israel's a very rocky, very stony uh, part of the world. For geographical reasons that I'm, I've never studied. And so Jesus, in essence, said, okay, there's some rocks over there. Now, um, he who has never sinned. And he who is 100% morally pure. I want you to go over there and get one of those rocks and I want you to be the first one to cast it at her. And the Bible says that they being convicted by their own conscience, they filed out beginning at the oldest. I guess the oldest guy said, I bet I got to get out of here because that word of God would perform surgery on his conscience. We don't know. He might have ended up being a believer in Jesus at a later time. We don't know. We don't even know who he was, but he was the oldest. He 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 ducked out first. He said, he said, exit stage left. Deuces, peace out. He was gone. From the oldest 
down to the youngest. And then Jesus was left alone. The woman was first in the company of the truth and a bunch of liars. And now when they left one by one, beginning at the oldest until the youngest, until the last one, she was left alone with the truth. She was alone with the truth. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, if you'll follow him, you'll walk in truth. If you'll follow him and obey him and study his word diligently, even if it's a verse a day, study his word diligently and pray to God by the power and authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, you, you won't walk in darkness. You'll walk in the light of life where Jesus is the truth and, and anything else that opposes Jesus. I'm going to walk through, um, it's not going to be today, I don't know when, but soon, Lord willing, I'm going to walk through the first epistle of John. I'm, I might even call the lesson Walking with Jesus through First John. I, I read it this morning when I got up. And it's just, you know, First John, just, you know, this is the light, this is darkness, this is the truth, this is a lie. I think pretty soon, if the Lord allows, we're going to walk through the first epistle of John, which I'm just going to go verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept. Here a little, there a little. First, the uh, first epistle of John. And if you come through the first epistle of John and, and you still haven't made a decision for Jesus, the same individual who wrote gospel according to John, wrote the first epistle of John, wrote the second epistle of John, wrote the third epistle of John, and wrote the revelation of Jesus Christ. John from the Isle of Patmos. Live from the Isle of Patmos. Glory to God. God bless you, my beloved. Let me take you to Mark chapter 4. I want to talk about the parable of the sower. I'm not going to talk about the whole parable, but I want to I want to show you something that I said that I would mention today. I didn't have time to talk about it Friday night, but I've got a few minutes I can talk about it today. In the parable of the sower, because Jesus would often speak in parables, right? He would use um, common earthly, everyday experiences to teach spiritual truths. And again, he began to teach by the sea. This is talking about Jesus. And a great multitude was gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, listen, behold, a sower, a planter, one who plants, a sower went out to sow. And as it happened, as he sowed, that some seed fell by the wayside. And the birds of the air came and devoured it. And that's the only one I want to talk about right now. I don't want to talk about the other three seeds. I want to talk about that one. Well, I might talk about the fourth seed. But the first seed and the fourth seed. Right now, the first seed. Let me read it again. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside. And the birds of the air came and devoured it. Now, Jesus is going to further explain the parable. Right? If you go down to verse 13 of Mark chapter 4. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Parable means walk to walk alongside. Para. It's where we get the word parallel. Like two lines that are side by side with each other. So parable. Right? To walk alongside of. Parable. Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? 
The sower sows the word. So there's nothing wrong with the sower. There's nothing wrong with the word. The problem is the soil that the word falls on. Let me say that again. The sower sows the word. There's nothing wrong with the sower. There's nothing wrong with the word in this case. Right? There's never anything wrong with the word. But in some cases, we know the sower might have their, his own problems or her own problems. But in this case right here, the sower is pure. For the sower is the son of man, Jesus Christ. The sower sows the word. These are they by the wayside. This is the one I want to emphasize. These are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. The word is proclaimed. The gospel is proclaimed. The good news concerning Jesus Christ is proclaimed. These are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, listen carefully now, you've got to listen to this. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Let me read that again. These are, they, these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Now, you ask, how could that happen? It happened because the hearers were careless. Because if you look at that same parable in, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13, it says, the sower sows the word, and these are they by the wayside. When anyone hears the gospel of the kingdom and does not understand it, Satan comes and takes the word away from their heart. Now, does not understand it, Properly translated means a careless hearer. When the word is preached, and if you are a careless hearer of the gospel, Satan is not going to just sit around and wait for you to hear the gospel again, hoping that you'll believe it. He's going to come and take away that which was something up. Showing, and this shows how much Satan is a malignant spiritual reality, a malignant spiritual entity. He can come and take the way, take away the word that was sown in your heart. The sower sows the word, and these are they by the wayside where the word is sown, preached, proclaimed, planted. When they hear, Satan comes immediately. Now, why would Satan do that? Because he knows the word of God is the only thing that's going to save us and um, sustain us, benefit us. Satan doesn't care about all the other stuff that goes on in churches and ministries. He doesn't care about all that stuff. He'll help you promote all that other stuff. It's the word of God that Satan fears. It's the word of God that Satan fears both for himself. And it is the word of God that will condemn him for eternity. The word of God says he would one day be confined to the lake of fire. Both he and his unholy angels along with all those who reject Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Satan fears the word both for the way it's going to condemn him, the way it's already condemned him, but shall ultimately condemn him in the, in the finality. But he also fears the word of God because he knows what an effect, an eternal effect it can have on you if you will embrace it. So if he sees that you're a careless hearer, Jesus said he'll come and he'll take it away. If you're a careless hearer. Now, now that, that point isn't really brought out in the Mark passage. 
But in the Matthew passage, let me read the Matthew passage to you. Same, same scenario. Parable of the sower explained. Mark, uh, excuse me, Matthew 13, 18. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. You hear that? Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. Does not understand it, properly translated out of English means, is a careless hearer. Is a careless hearer. Oh, Satan's, oh, 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 that person's not really, oh, no. And he comes and he takes it. It's kind of like you being careless. If you leave your home unlocked all the time, if you leave your car, a lot of car burglaries, not burglaries, not all, but many of them, I don't know what percentage, but probably over 50% of car burglaries are due to cars being left unlocked. Many of your home burglaries, many of your home invasions, not all, but many of your home invasions and your assaults, when people get assaulted in their home, many of them are because people leave their windows unlocked during the summer, it's hot outside, whatever, and they leave their windows unlocked, they leave their doors unlocked. Many of these things happen because uh, the, 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 perp, the perpetrator is allowed easy access because the person, the victim, has been careless. Well, now, if it happens in the natural realm, it can also happen in the spiritual realm. Jesus said, when, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, Satan comes, watch this, immediately. He doesn't wait around, you know, I think I'll wait for three weeks and give this person a chance to reconsider. Satan comes immediately and snatches the word from the person's heart. Let me read to you the fourth seed. This is what Satan is afraid of. Listen carefully. But these are the seeds sown on good ground. Those who hear the word accept it. Did you hear that? This is the Mark passage. Those who hear the word accept it. You see that? That's the opposite of being a careless hearer. Those who hear the word accept it and bear fruit. Some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. That's the Mark passage, Mark uh, 4.20. That's what Satan is afraid of. He's afraid that if you hear the word and accept it and let it germinate in your, in your inner man, you'll become a, a soldier, a warrior for the kingdom and you'll bear fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. He's afraid of that. Let me read that in the Matthew passage. Remember, there were four seeds. I didn't want to go into all four of them today. I went into the first one and the, now here's the fourth one. In the Matthew passage, remember he explained, Jesus explained the parable. But he who received good on, he who received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it. Who indeed bears fruit and produces some hundred, some sixty, some thirty fold. Let me read it again. Matthew thirteen twenty three. But he who received seed on the good ground. Remember, there's no problem with the sower, the seed. The problem is the soil, right? I'm not a farmer. I don't grow up on, you know, in, in an agricultural setting, but common sense here. It's the soil that is, that is either the solution or the problem. He who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it. 
who indeed bears fruit. The, the, uh, again, if you properly translate that, it means th this person is not a careless hearer. Go back to the beginning of the parable. The seed that was sown by the wayside, that was a careless hearer. And Satan took advantage of it and came and took away the word that was sown in their heart. That, that, that's a lot of spiritual power for, for someone to be able to come and take away something that's sown in your heart. But Satan is a powerful, spiritual, malignant, dastardly, demonic, evil individual. But he who receives seed on good ground is he who hears the word and understands it. It doesn't mean you have to have deep theological understanding of the book of Romans or, you know, understand the book of Revelation. It's saying you're not a careless hearer and then you accept what you've heard. What might we do that we might work the works of God? Some men came and asked Jesus. Jesus said, this is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent. In essence, that's it. Now, let me go back to the Mark passage. Jesus said in the Mark passage, he said, these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, listen, accept it. Not fight against it. Oh, that's just the white man, you know, trying to keep us in bondage. Oh, you know, uh, I, I get a lot of this on social media. The very first attack is always, I think before attacking me, the very first attack is always against the integrity of God's word. Oh, that's not what God said. He, that ain't what he meant. These people, some of them never read the Bible in their lives. Oh, that ain't what the Bible said. That, that ain't what it really meant. No, this and that, this, that, and the third. Oh, it's, that's the white man. See, they're, they're, they're careless hearers. They're not accepting what the Bible says. And Satan is having a field day. Even many people in church, if you see a hundred people in church, and if if a hundred of them have their cell phones out, some of them are listening to the word and they might be looking on electronic Bibles and they might be tweeting what the pastor is preaching about, etc. But some of them, they're not listening. They're careless hearers. The pastor is preaching and they're, they're looking at something that has nothing to do with God's word. They're careless hearers. You could be a Christian and be a careless hearer as well as a non-believer and be a careless hearer. And Satan loves that because he's, because Satan knows the word of God is the only thing that will both save you but also sustain you and cause you to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He loves that when people are careless hearers because that just plays into his dastardly uh, um, intent. Jesus and liars. Jesus is true. His word is true. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father. Jesus said it. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. I didn't say it. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody, 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 nobody's coming to the Father unless they come by me. By me. Nobody's coming to the Father. I'm the truth. You're not coming to the Father. Remember, he said, I'm the door. Not only am I the door, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the door, I'm the good shepherd, I'm the great shepherd, I'm the chief shepherd. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Now let me show you this one more passage and then I'll close. Jesus said in the revelation, at the beginning of the revelation, when he was describing himself, Jesus said something very profound here. 
He said, do not be afraid. He said this to John on the Isle of Patmos. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives. I was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. Amen means there's no truth that can go beyond that. Amen means that's it. So be it. God has spoken. Let the church say amen. That's it. Anybody who tries to go beyond that amen with another truth, walking in their truth with a different gospel, it's a lie. Now listen to what he said right here, and then I'm going to close. He said, I have the keys of Hades and death. I have the keys of Hades and death. I have the key to the grave. I have the key to the underworld. Jesus is saying, I'm the only one who can let you out of there. I can let you out or I cannot let you out. I'm going to follow him who has the keys of Hades and death. Just went to a funeral yesterday. 17-year-old young man killed in a car accident. Physically, he's gone. But in order for him to be in that great resurrection one day, the, re the first resurrection, the Bible says, blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Upon such, the second death has no power. In order for that man and the rest of us to be part of the first resurrection, we have to follow Jesus. Muhammad doesn't have the keys. Hare Krishna doesn't have the keys. Buddha doesn't have the keys. Confucius doesn't have the keys. All these other entities, these thousands of gods, lowercase g-o-d, they don't have the keys. Every religion contains some element of truth. Every religion contains some element of some truth. Some moral um, platitude, some, some, some moral truism. Every religion, if you, if, you, if you go into Buddhism or whatever, Confucianism, Taoism, Islam, there's some, there's some element of truth. But Jesus said, I, am, I don't contain truth. I, Jesus said, I am the truth. Jesus is not some just prophet who speaks maxims and proverbs as though, he, as though he's just another in a long line of prophets, ancient Oriental prophets. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. In me dwells all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and you're not coming to the Father. Jesus said, except by me. Again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to emphasize this. We're going to close. I am the first and the last. There's nothing in your life that's outside of the scope of God's power, knowledge, and authority. He says, I'm the first and the last. The alpha, the first letter in the Greek alphabet. The omega, the last letter in the Greek alphabet. There's nothing that, that, there's nothing that can happen in your life, including death, that's outside of the scope of God's knowledge, power, and authority. There's nothing that you can go through. That's outside of the scope of God's knowledge, power, and authority. Because he said, I'm the first. I'm the last. I'm the beginning. I'm the end. I was dead. And that was voluntary. No man took my life from me. I laid it down. I laid it down and I took it again. Because that was a command that I had from my father. I was dead. 
I came to life. I rose from the dead. I told you I was going to rise from the dead. He told the Jews before he was crucified. He said, okay, since y'all not believe in me, no more miracles for y'all. The only other sign you're going to get is a sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and nights in the heart of the earth. In other words, Jesus said, the only sign you're going to get after this, the only sign you're going to get after this, since y'all didn't believe all the other signs, I did more signs at the books of that time. The world couldn't contain the, the, the books that, that could be written. The only sign you're getting now is the sign of my resurrection. Glory to the Lamb of God. He said, I was dead. I came to life. I have the keys of hell, of Hades, and death. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's my little preaching friend right here. You helping me preach? Hallelujah. Say, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. 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 Uh, that's my little preaching grandson yeah. right there. You're going to be a great preacher one day? Uh-huh. <laughs> and my toy's going to preach for me. Your toy's going to preach for you. Okay. Yeah. yeah. They might do a better job than most of us. <laughs> God bless you, my beloved. Jesus. Jesus. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. <laughs> God bless you, my beloved. Let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, bless your people. Bless them in every way possible. Save those who are not saved and those who are saved, Lord. Encourage them. Build them up where they're torn down. Lord, we continue to pray for the family of the young man who was killed. Comfort them as only you can, Lord. For our words and deeds can comfort them, but only you can heal them, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Bless your people in every way possible by Jesus Christ, Lord. Help us, Lord, to say no to sin. And yes, the righteousness which is in your dear Son, Jesus our Lord. Blessed be your name forever. We pray that this teaching and preaching, as well as teaching and preaching from all over the world, would bring forth fruit and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to your good, acceptable, and perfect will. By Jesus Christ, we pray. Say amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Say hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> okay, all right, dog. You're more excited about Jesus than I am. God bless you, my beloved. Y'all take care. Hit that little, hit that little button right there. See that little button right there. Hit that. Hit, hit that little button right there. See right there. Oh, you did a good job. Now hit that little, hit that little button right there. Little blue one. All right. Now hit that little blue button right there. You mean yes? Mm-hmm. Good job. <laughs> Thank you. You did a great job. I'm so proud of you. you and and it's summer. Is Santa Claus going to um, preach? No, Santa Claus don't preach. Uh-uh. No, he's not a preacher. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You did a good job. All right, now let me, let me fix this, and then I'll let you play with my iPad, okay? Okay. All right. Let me fix this. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I look at that. Okay, give me a few minutes. Give me a few minutes to work on this, Okay. And then we will, um, I'll, I'll give you the iPad in a few minutes, okay? Okay. All right.